Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to a very special art detective. <laughs> You might be able to hear from my voice that I've had some wine. I am in the Turf Tavern, which is a wonderful pub in Oxford, near to the Bridge of Size, near to the Bodleian Library, a copy of every book ever published, and the Sheldonian Theatre, designed by Christopher Wren. But this pub is most famous, probably, for Inspector Morse. He used to drink in here, and it was... Part of the inspiration for why I wanted to go to Oxford University that I decided to uh, watch Morse and come here. I am already drunk, as you can tell. This is a drunk art detective. <laughs> it's only for the Patreon subscribers. It's very secret. It's very naughty. But I have my very dear friend, Adam Rutherford, in front of me. Adam, Adam Rutherford in front of me. Um, so dear, you can just about pronounce <laughs> my surname. Oh my God. <laughs> So we are here because the uh, we are here because the Oxford Literary Festival is taking place, and you spoke tonight in the Martin Lecture Theatre. Yes. About your new book. Tell the <laughs> yes. art detective listeners what you spoke about. Well, you know because you came to no, that I was talk. Late no, you turned up. It. You turned up just as I'd finished. Um, well, I was talking about what it means to be human from a scientific perspective from an evolutionary biology perspective and I did talk a lot about art because the start of that talk is is about the first depictions of what we can unequivocally describe as artistic which occur around about well for homo sapiens around about 40,000 years ago in, in well we, until about last year in Germany exclusively, the, mm -hmm. the, the Löwenmensch of Hollenstein style. style ah, <laughs> this is where a bottle of wine gets in the way. Hollenstein style. Oh, shit. Come on, Adam, you can do this. It's Hol called the Lion Man. The Lion Man. Löwenmensch of Hollenstein style. Mm. Thank you. God, that took a couple of days to get out. Uh, which, which is this amazing carved tusk. Incidentally, Art Detective listeners, I am making an entire BBC one-hour documentary on this particular artwork. It, it, so, it, it is stunning. I mean, it's it a stunning piece of work. Incredibly important because it heralds the well. Give us the dates. Give us the dates. So it's forty thousand years old. Forty thousand years old. Yeah, and 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 it was found in Germany in the nineteen thirties, and um, it, it it is. 
Well, it was the earliest depiction of figurative art by Homo sapiens until about two years ago. Oh, dear. No, in fact, not two years ago, uh, last year, um, uh, 2018, or autumn 2018. We'll come to that in a minute. But the point is, that it, it, it's figurative in the sense that it is, it's not a cave painting, it's a, it's a, it's a task, it's carved out of a... Um, it's a piece of, of, of task yeah. that has been carved, it's about, what, 12 inches high? It's about 12 inches high, yeah. and it's a, it's a man's body, there's been a lot of debate over the years about... about it has whether genitals. It, well, they think, that the, the best guesses are it has genitals and they're male genitals. Yeah, it has seven stripes down its arm, yes. which, which people have suggested are tattoos. We know that tattooing kiss, kits existed. Back in those days, I mean, we're talking forty thousand. Forty thousand years, years ago. Busy. This yeah. is this is uh, uh, ago. This is um, a pivotal moment in terms of how art evolves because what it's really doing is showing that human beings or Homo sapiens or however you scientists like to refer to them <laughs> could extrapolate their own existence into a fantasy realm. They could create a hybrid, couldn't they? So in, in scientific terms, what we talk about is that this is the earliest example of what we refer to as behavioural modernity. Behavioural modernity, I like that. Yeah, so these are these are behaviours that are not that, that are indistinguishable from behaviours that we see today. And so just that one figure, the fact that it is the body of a man with a cave lion's head says just just that on its own says a bunch of stuff it says that it says that we you know we're capable at this point in time of uh creating very complex sophisticated artworks yeah and i'm unequivocal about describing it as art oh god it is art it is isn't it because well not everyone within my field is Seriously? Yeah. So what do they say? Well, it's an architect. You know, it's an archaeolo- archaeological, archaeological artifact. Yeah. Because it's found in a it's collection of... It's fucking art. Are we allowed to swear on this? Yes. It's, it's fucking found, art, it's man. It's found in a collection of objects, isn't it? There's other things around it. Beads and other... It's gardens. the oldest of that find. It was found in a cubby hole in a particular cave in, in Hohenstein-Stadel. Got it right that time. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I'm pleased with that. But, but it is the body of a man and it's the head of a cave lion and it has these sort of stripes, these indicative stripes down its, down its arm. And, you know, the inferences we can draw from the fact that it exists are, are hugely significant in our understanding of human evolution. Because the fact is that human bodies, physiology, and also human genetics hasn't really fundamentally changed for more than a quarter of a million years. And if you met someone who was transported through time a quarter of a million years ago to now, they wouldn't be physically different from us. If you tied them up, gave them a shave, or put them in clothes, you'd, you'd, you'd meet them now in this pub, and yeah. you'd, you wouldn't notice that no, they were different. No, I, I, think, I think the thing that really excites me about objects like that is genuinely that they are um, an attempt at making art. They're an attempt at getting outside of the day-to-day. Because, you know, we both love Lascaux. We both love prehistoric paintings. The hand sprays, the hand prints, you know, all these things that are echoes of a human being uh, imprinting themselves on the, on the world. Yeah. That's all great. But what's different with this particular example with Lyman is that he is a fantastical creation. He is something that only the imagination can make and surely that's the origins of art well he's the earliest and that's the key point he was right. the earliest until last year and i'll come to that in a minute but he he is the he it it's the thing it. yeah there aren't any significant examples of that level of abstraction 
or abstract thought or creativity exactly, abstract thought, yeah. earlier than 40,000 years ago in Europe and therefore represents a huge transition in behavioural uh, behaviour. Behavioural behaviour! This is drunk art detective friends. <laughs> behavioural behaviour. the wine cakes in. You did well. Yeah, behavioural behaviour. <laughs> Um, and so you don't you don't see that in the archaeological record before that. Yeah, you know we see sophisticated tool use, but it's sporadic. You see evidence of non-functional, yeah, non-functional coding of things in yeah. stones, maybe as early as ninety thousand years ago, particularly in, in in South Africa in the Bombos caves. But this this is unequivocal. Mm. It's an unequivocal demonstration of modern. Behavioural modernity in the way that the mind that was behind that was not distinguishable from the minds that we have today. I agree, I agree. And I think that, you know, when we look at something like a Dali or when we look at any of the uh, artworks that morphs reality with the unreal, yeah. we've got the origins of it with this piece, haven't we? We've got, we've got No, I don't that. think we do, actually. I, I don't oh, think we do. we've got the origins. And there's a, re- there's a really specific reason for that, which is that, uh, it, although it's the only example we have mm. from Europe at that time. Well, if it's one, there must be more. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. part of a continuation. Yes, right? it cannot, okay, how interesting. It yeah. cannot be unique. Um, but those things are either lost to time or we haven't found them yet. I agree. But the point is that we don't find anything significant like that in the archaeological record before 40,000 years ago in before Europe. Before 40,000. Okay, yeah. so, and, and in terms of how the thing's found, it's found in this very contained space, isn't it? Yeah, so it's down in, in South uh, East or West Germany. I can't remember now because <laughs> we're two bottles in. Uh, it's definitely in South Germany. It's in Germany. Yeah, definitely in Germany. <laughs> no, it's yeah. in Germany. <laughs> but, there's a, but that's an important point as well because yes. the, the Lion Man was found in the 1930s mm. and dated later and continually dated since. And 40,000, I think, is a reasonable dating for it because these techniques develop as science develops, of right? Course, yeah. But... Um, and we got a bunch of stuff from after that, meaning more recently than that. And we've got the La- you know the Lascaux cave paintings are in the sort of twenties to thirty thousand yeah, yeah, years yeah. ago. Uh, there's also the Venus figurines, and the oldest of which is. I wanted the- to ask you about the yep. Venus figurines. Yep. Uh, I mean, I've, it's difficult because I want to jump from Lion Man to, to Venus. Well, the oldest I- Venus is Holy Fells, and that's that's the oldest date for Holy Fells is thirty-eight thousand years. Thirty-eight thousand. Yeah, and it's only about it's only about like it's it's, it's, it's something like twenty miles from from Oh uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're really close to each other. Yeah. And, and so actually, there's a there's a bunch of stuff going on down in there at that time. Yeah, and I think it's all about artistic expression, isn't it? Expression, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think that what's happening with the Lion Man is a manifestation of abstract thoughts. But then when you get to the Venus figurines, that's an abstraction too, isn't it? Because they are, they look, they have the elements of a woman, but they're not realistically rendered, are they? No, very, very much not. <laughs> and that, <laughs> Those boobs. Well, that, that is a source of a lot of speculation in, in interpretation of what these figures are. So yeah. the, the earliest one is, is Holy Fells, and that's about 38 thousand years ago and there's I, I don't know seven or eight of these figures and they range over 38 to in, in the 20,000 years ago. the first one was was called the the Venus impudique impudique exactly and it was named by I forget the guy's name a man a French aristocrat and it's, Monsignor. In, it's in my was it <laughs> no. no I don't know it's in the book and I can't remember because he was a French aristocrat okay. and I've had too many drinks so. <laughs> 
but um, but it's got a very very clear uh, sort of sort of exaggerated vulva. Yes. And for that reason, he referred to it as the Venus impudique. Impudique, exactly, right. which is yeah, improper, improper. So we get yeah. we, we call them Venuses from that point forward, and of but the, the, whole, the whole Venus concept is flawed, isn't it? Well, I mean, well it's, I they're, they're women, and their depictions of the physical form, and they are women. They almost all have exaggerated sexual characteristics. The labia on the labia or boots. We're talking about. Right. Yeah. So the Venus in Padique has very prominent uh, vulva. Uh, the, the Venus of Holy Fells has what scientists colloquially refer to as enormous knockers. Enormous knockers. Massive the... knockers. Bigger than the invisible <laughs> head that is not there. Yeah, it has a tiny head. <laughs> a tiny head. But all of these things are interesting from yes, an interpretive totally. point of view, not because of what... I, and and this, I'm really specific about this in the book because a ton of research has been published about these figures over yeah. the years. And I think most of it is bollocks. Yeah. Because they say things like, well, you know, there's interpretations about the fact that the Venus of Holy Fells' head is tiny. Yeah. And then suggest that the reason the, the Venus of Holy Fells is tiny, has a tiny head, but enormous boobs, is because... They're looking down at their body. Is that right. the one you're thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I got that as not a historian. It's well, not a historian. It's imprinted into me. The reason the Venus bodies look like they do is because they're carved by women looking down at their own physique. Yeah. And, and I've always so, struggled with that. Well, it only works, really, if you're the only, per- you're the only yeah, woman the only who exists. <laughs> because I can look at you. I can, I can look down at myself and I've got all sorts of you know body disproportion <laughs> issues going on. Yeah. But also there's a bunch of people in the pub, right? And I can look at them and think... Well, their head's a normal size, so I'm not really buying that as an argument. Yeah. Also, the Venus of Willendorf has not only a normal-sized head and massive boobs, but um, I'm not sure massive boobs is a scientifically correct term. It's okay, we can work with it. But she's also got a normal-sized head. <laughs> right. She has got, like, disproportionately enormous boobs. And, and one of the things I was weaned on as an early art historian was to look at these prehistoric female figures as... As, um, as self-portraits, which also brings into the question the whole issue of female artists, female carvers, female creators, which I think was an early feminist move to sort of say, you know, even 40,000 BC, women were carving their own bodies, women were carving their own impression. But but actually, what you say in your book is that it's probably totemic or, or it's forming some sort of a talismanic process. Do you know what? It's not even that. Okay. And because I have to be scientifically rigorous about this. And my one of my key influences can I, can I on this... Can I just say, Arts Detective Listeners, I think we're making amazing sense given the amount that we've drunk. One of my main influences on this is our mutual friend, Alice Roberts, mm. who, did, who did the illustrations for this book. Because she, she says very... And I think it's absolutely correct that... The truth of the matter is, we got no fucking idea what people were thinking when they were carving this stuff. And to me, to my mind, it doesn't matter. Okay. Right? Because what it sh- what what's important to me is that it shows behavioural modernity in in the, in the sense of abstraction of thought, yeah. depiction of bodies, either female or male. Maybe they were totemic in, in in terms of reproduction. But the fact of the matter is, I look at you across the table now, and I've got no idea what you're thinking, and I can speculate about it, but I don't know. So why the fuck would we? know yeah, what someone who totally. died 40,000 years ago was thinking when they were carving a, a Venus or a or, or the lion man. Well, this is, this that is doesn't matter the, to me. What yeah. matters to me is that it shows 
that they were having thoughts that were recognisable. Yeah, totally. And I think that this is one of the things I love being friends with you, Adam, is that, you know, I'm a, a, a person seeped in the humanities. I'm seeped in literature and music and art. And uh, But my passions lie deep in the sciences too. And actually, I think what we do a disservice to ourselves as in the modern age is to, um, to, to sort of think that an object like that needs to be seen either as a archaeological artifact or something scientific or something that needs or possibly an artwork and then these dialogues take place when nobody's talking to each other nobody's sharing their information or their ideas and and I, that's a modern phenomenon isn't it so i've got to be really parsimonious about this because that that is parsimonious my, good word that's my cultural background it's a good word to get out when you've had uh, two bottles <laughs> I'm of impressed. chardonnay that we've just had um <laughs> but but it but that that's my you know that that is my natural disposition and that's my scientific disposition as well which is to say i i want to extract the simplest yeah information about what we can discern from this real phenomenon you know speculation about what those things are is is fun and it's interesting but the truth is like it Maybe the Venus was a toy. Maybe, yes, maybe, well, that's what maybe it was a doll. Thing, isn't it? Maybe she it was says, pornography. We just don't know. She also says that we ignore children in um, oh, God, in yeah. the prehistoric age, yeah. and possibly it's a fun doll. It's a doll. I mean, God, maybe it's a doll. Right. I mean, in in, in and maybe the Lion Man is a toy. In forty thousand years' time, if you dug up, if there was only one Barbie left yes, in the whole exactly. of, of the archaeological record you dig it's that up and think, this is the representation of the Christ <laughs> alive yeah. look that at the proportions happen. on that yeah, what, totally. what, you know what, what were they thinking then it's a doll it's a massive misrepresentation but the point is and the point is for scientific purposes it shows the mind behind that yeah. it demonstrates that the mind behind that was not significantly different to our own it was interpretive it was cre- it was capable of creative processes it was capable of, of other things that I've just, just forgotten. forgotten what they were but as abstraction 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 right? and as a scientist looking at human beings from that period um, do you think that something like the lion man or the venus um, is a useful scientific tool does it help us to understand the people that lived to that time that was a good question it was not bad actually i'm really impressed thank you thank you <laughs> that was a good question i'm proud of myself yeah it does it does because we don't see that level of behavioural modernity earlier yeah. than that. And that's the key thing. I don't care what it represented. I, I, I do. But from a purely scientific point of view, all I care is that it shows a line in the sand which says, before this, people weren't doing it. Yeah. After it, they were, and they were doing it everywhere. Yeah. They were doing it all over Europe. They are doing and, it in and Indonesia. And it over caves and creating right. spaces that were... I mean, we, we think things like tourism and uh, the idea of the pull of the place is a modern phenomenon. It's not at all. I mean, the idea that a space could have artworks in it that other people from a prehistoric era could actually go and visit and see... Um, I think we forget that that might have been attractive then too. Well, again, I've, I've got no idea why they did this stuff, yeah. um, and and we we can fondly and speculate. Y- usefully speculate about what what they were for. They were clearly they clearly had some cultural purpose. Yeah. Right, or else you wouldn't do, you do think, it. Do you think? Do you think there is a? I mean, this is this is a completely abstract thought, but in terms of when Homo sapiens start to um, 
create the sense of communities, of villages, of identity. Um, do you think the art is an expression of that? Do you think it is a sense of identity? I'm super reluctant to commit to any of these, oh, these, yeah. these kind of ideas because all of these types of conversations are inherently framed by contemporary understanding of what we're talking about. So those terms like villages and communities, yeah. right? They're, they're, they're all, modern phenomena. They're almost yeah. meaningless in, in a prehistorical context. Yes, we are a social organism, but we've been a social organism for millions of years rather than hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of years. We, we are inherently and have been for hundreds of thousands of years you know, genetically bound to other members of the same species in both families and wider communities. But those things are, you know, these are the, the, the problem. There's a lot. There's a big semantic problem here, right? Mm, we yeah. talk about migration. Yes, right. Come right? on. Migration Let's is a this. huge issue. Okay. It, that is like the defining issue of how Homo sapiens is spread around the world. Yeah. Right. And you and I are both products of that entire. Right, <laughs> but in entirely different ways. No, exactly. And so when we talk about migration in the modern age, and we talk about you know people from Syria turning yeah. up in Italian yeah. coastlines or in our generation coming from Poland or Guyana or whatever Guyana, it is, yeah. right? What we're talking about in terms of human migration over evolutionary time spans is small populations migrating at the rate of about a mile every thousand years. Really? Is that how it works out? It's, it's stuff it's a like boat that. that brings humans to a place, isn't it? That's how we have to think about it in a kind of So we draw these maps, way. we draw these maps which say we started off as an African species and okay. we are an African species. Yep. And over the course of the last 80,000 years or so, we have populated every corner of the world, right? 80,000 years is um, 12 <laughs> times longer than the entirety of human history. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm a historian, and the frustration of endpoints is is well, intense. Fucking hell, we can't <laughs> agree what happened during the Iraq war. I know, I know. Which was in the age of the internet. <laughs> Right? Well, we so, have source material coming out of our ears, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we've got the opposite problem 10,000 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or 100,000 years ago, which is that we got. Uh, it is opinion rich, data poor. But it is. <laughs> opinion rich, data poor. It's, so, <laughs> it's a useful phrase, that, isn't it? It's so funny. So I've been working on the Olmecs, who are about 1,000 BC. And to find two people that agree about how they use their space, how they interacted, what their sort of um, spiritual framework was, you just, it's so fabricated, isn't it? I mean, it kind of makes me feel slightly redundant as a historian that how do I ever give people answers when humanity is so diverse and complex? And, and you do it from a scientific point of view, which is well, to say I, there are I, answers. I I, no, I don't do that at all. Right. I don't. I really no, don't. Nina. No, Nina, I do not do that. Well, what the hell are well, you Okay, saying? I'm going to disagree with you twice now. Thank you. Right, the first is that I think that history done well is a science okay because it's evidence-based wow, excellent okay good and i understand that it's not as precise as science as molecular biology or fucking physics yeah right but but both of them are quite boring it's not slides on a microscope well it? but it is though because it's become that i agree and i actually think that what the really good historian could do is analyze to a point that it's nobody data else has. look yeah. it's data it's fucking data yeah and the, the question is whether you how hard you stick to what the data can tell you and the, i think the fundamental difference between good history and 
historical sciences is the point, and this is where me and you will always diverge a little bit, but not really that much, is the extrapolations you can go. This is what, yeah. the, this is what the data is. Yes. And then, and then you say, well, what does the data say? Yeah. And those two things are different. And, you know... What does the data say? But, I mean, I mean that's so open to interpretation, yeah, of isn't course it? it is, yeah. Because, uh, you know, you and I have had this conversation many times before, but my opinion of studying the humanities is it's endless variety. It's endless opportunity for surprise and for... Yeah, you know, the complexity of the human being to just throw something completely sideways that, that you can't um, bundle people together. Well, yes, <laughs> but it, it, it's, I think, I think that, that I'm, not, I'm not into this dichotomy between the humanities and I hate and it, I hate it, and you know I hate it. You know that we should be going back to an educational system that doesn't draw these diversions because your own interests were science and you well, know. I think, you I, think, over, look, I, mean, you? I think I think that you know there is a way of knowing stuff, mm. and the way of knowing stuff is the best way of knowing stuff. I, to my mind, is fundamentally sci- scientific, but that doesn't exclude history because. No. It's evidence-based, right? Of course. And it and doesn't matter what your evidence depends is. depends on historical study It absolutely of each other. does. Yeah. And it's just, it, you know, the only reason me and you are talking now is because <laughs> it happens to be that my discipline ended up being a historical source when no one was really anticipating that happening. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. I think that the idea that, the, that more of these communications happen is a really important thing. And Adam Rutherford, before we collapse, um, I think we should probably call our podcast to an end. Um, dear Art Detective listeners, this has been a secret treat on the Patreon site for those of you who have uh, very kindly and graciously decided to support our podcast. Um, thank you, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the. Thank you for the. I, I, mean, I don't normally drink. Inordinate amounts of drink. Well, the Chambly was fine. The um, the rum and coke that you just gave I just me. Gave you a that was that was surprising. Excellent. How can people follow you and what's your latest book and what should they do? Know. Come I mean, on, this is your they plug. Can, they can find me. I'm too tired and too drunk. <laughs> He's Dr. Adam Rutherford <laughs> on Twitter. He has a brilliant new book called uh, The Book of Humans. Yeah, yeah. Look at to remember what the title was. Tons of love. Thanks for all your support and I'll speak to you in a more sober state soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.